All right, you can take a seat. Today, we are meeting a new character in our series, in the series called New Beginnings 2.0. We meet this new character. Now, this new character, he's a bratty teenager, 17 years old, and God turns him into this man of God who trusts God when God seems nowhere to be found at all. And what we find is that God is working behind the scenes. And what we find in the story are these hidden patterns of the way that God works behind the scenes. And here's what we find, how God interacts with us, with humanity. There's a phrase that we're going to be repeating over and over and over again, all the way throughout the rest of our series in Genesis. And it's this, what we meant for evil, God will turn to good. What we mean for evil, God means for good. And this pattern is going to continue over and over and over again. So Joseph is who we're looking at. And Joseph's life is not turning out at all the way he had hoped and planned. In fact, what we're going to see today is that Joseph has been literally given these two dreams from God. And these dreams are basically showing him being someone like a king and his brothers bowing to him and honoring him. And he thinks that's what's going to happen next. Only instead what's happened is these brothers, instead of bowing to him, sell him into slavery. And everything is getting all messed up. But what we find is that what Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery, meant for evil, God will use those very acts for good. In fact, it's like these acts of evil kickstart the process of God putting him where he is one day meant to be. So in order for all this to happen, Joseph had to be sold by his brothers. And it's a story that's so important for you because it unveils that God is working behind the scenes in your life. If you could, right now, just pull back the veils, pull back the curtain, you would see God back there smiling behind the scenes, orchestrating this beautiful plan all the while. You feel like everything's being messed up, but God is working all of these things out for good, even when you cannot believe that could be true. He is. He's back there, and he's doing it. He's got a big smile on his face because he's doing something beautiful, and you have no idea that it's happening. And what we're going to see is that while we see, feel like God's far off, where we feel like he's nowhere to be near, what we find in this story are six patterns of God working out the evil things happening in our hearts and the hearts of people around us and how he works it out for good. God working behind the scenes. So here's, here, let me just give you the six patterns. I'm going to read the text. By the way, we're in Genesis 37. So if you want to grab Bibles, they should be around, or you can swipe open your phone. They'll be on the screen too. But Genesis 37... So here are the six, the six things, the six patterns. Trials lead to peace. Slavery leads to deliverance. Death leads to life. Betrayal leads to reconciliation. Hatred leads to honor. And jealousy leads to love. And the first thing had to happen in all these to get to the second. So I'm going to read our verses. We're going to read, start at verse 2. We're going to skip... When we get to 11, we're going to go to verse 19, but, but look, we got a lot to read here, so focus. 
Like what Darren said earlier, there's a bunch of things that could distract you right now. Focus in. This is God's word. Here we go. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, who's also Joseph, or also Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was his son at his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose, arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have a dr- dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now skip to verse 19. Joseph is going to look for his brothers, and his brothers are mad at him, and they're ready to take him down from these dreams. And so they said to one another, his brothers, here comes this dreamer. Now come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will come of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand upon him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. He was going to rescue him later on. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. Then a Midianite traders passed by, And they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his sons many days. All his sons and all of his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. 
Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. All right. This story is filled with irony. And this pattern is a story of God working behind the scenes, orchestrating all of this stuff. And what it's, what it's doing is, here's what he's doing. He's allowing the sin that leads to something bad, and then that sin that allowed something bad would lead to something good. Sin in the heart will lead to something evil, but God will use that evil for good. In other words, God takes our evil that's in our hearts, in the, in the hearts of people around us, and he allows that evil to play out, but then he manipulates, orchestrates, does whatever it is that God does in order so that all of these evil things somehow in the end all fall into place and make these beautiful things happen. It's like this story of humanity where we're at odds with God, we're wrestling against him, but he keeps orchestrating all these things that we're trying to do against him, and he works it out for this beautiful ending. So as a brother's attempt, in his brother's attempt to destroy his dreams, they actually activate the dream. Because what happens at the end of the story is because of his being sold into slavery, He actually rises to power, becomes the second most powerful man in the land. And there's a scene where his brothers are bowing to him and they don't even know it's him. It's beautiful. So God makes, takes the sins of humanity, generally speaking, and makes the sins the means through which God saves us. And then we, then like the end of Genesis 50, here's what the line is that we're leading up to. What Jacob, or Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, God allowed it to happen. His hand was in on it. So we're going to make sense of that, and we're going to make sense of it by looking at this pattern, these patterns that play out, and these patterns are playing out in your life, they're playing out in the Bible, and they're ultimately pointing us to someone. All right, so first pattern, trials lead to peace. Every one of you are going through a trial right now that is either related to your own sin, to the sins of someone around you, or to sin in general because our world is full of sin and corruption and that's just the way the world is. And God is orchestrating a heist where he steals you away from this sin and steals you out of this world and brings you to a whole new world of peace. Trials lead to peace. Joseph is sold into slavery when he was 17 years old for the sins of his older brothers who should have been caring for him. However, Joseph's a bit at fault. He's like this bratty little teenager. And he has these dreams, which means his brothers are going to be bowing to him. He knows that it's true. And so instead of just secretly telling his father or keeping it to himself, he goes bragging to his brothers and saying, hey, one day... You're going to all be bowing to me, and it's going to be awesome, and they hate him for it. And he keeps on doing it. He keeps on rubbing it in their faces. And he has two dreams. Now, why are there two? It's important that there are two. It means it's definitely going to happen. Sometimes, when you hear a preacher preach, the preacher will say something, and the people will agree with what is said, and they'll say amen. Now, this custom started a long time ago in the Jewish people, what, with the Jewish people, and what would happen is someone would stand up, to give a word, 
and actually they would sit down, other people would be standing, but they'd give a word, and then people, if they agreed with it, would say amen. Now, here's something that Jesus does. Jesus, before he says anything, oftentimes he'll say amen, amen, or truly, truly, I say to you. Now, what Jesus is doing is saying, listen, there's no point in you saying amen at the, at the end of what I'm saying because it's true. It's already true. In fact, I'm going to tell you that it's true twice. So he says, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, this can't be argued with. And that's a bit of what's happening here with Joseph having these two dreams. They're going to happen no matter what. No matter what Joseph's brothers do, these dreams are going to happen. And so Joseph brags about it. His brothers are angry. They're about to kill him, but instead they sell him into slavery. Now, everyone in this story now has trials. Joseph has been sold into slavery. Joseph's father thinks that he's been torn to pieces by some wild animal. And Joseph's brothers now have to deal with guilt and shame for the rest of their life, hiding this secret of what they've done to their brother. The sin has led to trials, but it will also lead to peace. And we don't know this until the story later on, but the peace will come. And all of these events must happen for Joseph to eventually come to power and be able to bring peace to not just himself, but to the rest of his family, even those who sold him into slavery. And it it must be that he is sold, not killed. It must be that his oldest brother, Reuben, says, hey, let's not kill him. And then Judah comes along and says, actually, let's sell him into slavery. And all of it has to work out perfectly. And it's all orchestrated by God to make him into one of the most powerful men in all of the land so that at the end of the story, we see that Joseph is able to provide for his family in the midst of a severe famine. Trials were necessary, not just because of sin, but also for salvation. In Acts, it says, we enter the through many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of god it's not that the tribulations give us right into the kingdom it's saying that on the other side of all of these tribulations is the kingdom of god that's what life is like in this world you are walking through the tribulations and that's the pattern our sin it's a result the pattern is a result of two things our sin your sin your sin in God's sovereign love. And we talked about this last week for a hot second. No one comes to God by hearing his words only. You have to hear his words, but you're not ready to hear it until you've faced trials. You got to come to God and hear his words when you've been humbled, when you have become desperate, and when you know that you are in need. You're not going to hear grace, you're not going to hear mercy, and you're not going to know deliverance when you hear it until you have been humbled. So that's what needs to happen to Joseph and his brothers. And because of our hard hearts, we need trials also. Because we've got to be ready to hear from God. Now, every one of your trials, here's the good news, it's not by accident. It's happening in order to humble you. And it's there as a result of maybe your sin, maybe someone else's sin, or just maybe the corruption of this world that we are in, but it is there. There your trials are, and they're coming at you, and they're meant to drive you desperately to God. And what the Bible claims 
is that it will give you peace if you go to him. The Bible makes this claim that, the, that peace is more about a person than about your circumstances. You could have beautiful circumstances, but not have God, and you will not be at peace. But if you have horrible circumstances, but have God, you have peace. God is working behind the scenes in your life, and things are taking way too long for you. But God is saying everything's going to be fine. He knows everything's going to be fine in this story. He's watching it play out, and the same thing is true for your life. And that's what makes Joseph so amazing of a character, because after all of this, he begins to learn to trust God. In other words, God knows the end of the story, and he knows the end of yours, and sin will not have the last word. And the irony of the story is that by selling Joseph into slavery, it actually leads to deliverance. This is our second point. Slavery leads to deliverance. The, now watch this. The one, one who was sold into slavery redeems the many. The pattern is the one will save the many. And this actually happens with God's people. Eventually, God, this, these Israelites, they're God's chosen people. The one group of people will be the one through which all the world will be saved. This is the promise going all the way back to Abraham. God makes this promise to Abraham. It's through you, Abraham. All the people of the earth will be blessed. Well, Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. Today, you are slave to sin and death. But there has come one who will rescue you from sin and death by entering into sin and death himself. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, some of you, there are people who are treating you more like a slave than a brother, more like you are in their debt than they ought to be. They're not treating you well. But if you will hold on to this story, what you will realize is that there's a potential that those people who are treating you horribly, you might play a huge part in their salvation and transformation. And you might say, I don't want that part to play. Well, this is what it means to be a Christian, my friends. This is what Christ did for you. He came when you were an enemy to him and he died so that you might live. And he's putting you in situations where people being mean to you, they're doing whatever it is to you, and you want to whine about it, but God's saying this is a beautiful opportunity for you to be gracious. Be like me to them. Maybe someone isn't treating you like an equal in your job, or your friends, or your family, and the irony of all of this is that God very well might be using you to deliver them, to rescue them, to transform them. Later, Joseph eagerly eagerly delivers his brothers who have done this to him. The only way to love your enemies like the way the Bible talks about is to believe that this is true, that God's working behind the scenes, that he's orchestrating all of this and he's going to somehow use it for good. And if you, could, if you could realize that, you can then love your enemies. This is the irony of love. Or, maybe you are treating someone like Joseph. You're like one of the brothers and you're not realizing that you're doing it. And you're justifying your actions because somebody's like a bratty little 17-year-old to you. 
and you're justifying the things that you're doing to them because they've sinned against you maybe a little bit, but now you're like, I'm going to bring it back to them, and you don't even realize how bad you're bringing it back to them because you are blinded by what they've done to you, and you're coming at them hard. So be careful because this might put you into your own slavery. Because here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to do something against you, and you're going to say, i got to get even. And that's all you're going to think about. And then you're going to find somebody else does something wrong to you. And you're going to find out, oh, there's a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of wrong stuff to you because you're watching everybody like a hawk. You don't trust anybody, and you're catching everything. And the next thing you know, you are consumed with constantly getting even, constantly getting vengeance, constantly getting justice, and you just are in a prison now. But God could use the sins that are against you to deliver others. In fact, that's probably, in a lot of ways, he's doing that more than you realize. It's the pattern. This is what it is to be a Christian. So you live this way. All right, this is the third. Death leads to life. If you're going to see what's going on in this story and understand it, you've got to see that there's a bunch of word plays. So Jacob has been raised from the dead, figuratively, Jacob the father, because, look at what he says. He says, I am committed to going down to Sheol, which is the grave. In other words, my son has been tortured by this animal, and it has broken my heart, and I will mourn for the rest of my life. I'm going down. I'm in hell on earth now. I'm going, I might as well just be dead. But then later he finds out that his son is living. He's not dead, and in fact, he's a king. Sound like anybody you know? And not only that, Joseph was figuratively dead. He's in the pit. The pit is representative of death, yet he's lifted up out of the pit. Now, there's something that life will force you to do. Die to yourself. In order for you to be fully alive, you have to die to yourself. Jesus says, in order to find yourself, you must lose yourself. There's another place he says, take up your cross and follow me. Another place he says, give away all that you have and follow me. There's a pattern that requires you to find life. What you have to do first is die to yourself. And your suffering and pain, because you, see, here's the thing. You won't do it. You won't. But God is orchestrating your life to be such a way so that finally you are released from the grip of holding on to your life in this world and holding on to the things of this world and you become so desperate that finally you stop clinging to the world and you start looking for something else that's going to give you some hope, it's going to give you some comfort in the midst of the pain, and it's going to give you something that can hold you up when you feel like you're drowning. Joseph suffered for many years, but it was necessary for him to have life, to live through this famine, and for his brothers and his whole family to live. And it was required for his people, to, his family to live on. And if his family didn't live on, we would not be sitting here today talking about Jesus. But God had something in store. Through many trials, you must enter the kingdom of God. And if you're suffering right now, and you feel like you're in hell on earth, God is teaching you to stop holding on to this world and to look for something beautiful and perfect and worth holding on to in the midst of it. And God is also giving you a way to die to yourself by teaching you to forgive others. 
So this is our fourth pattern. Betrayal leads to reconciliation. Betrayal leads to reconciliation. So it's the evil of his brothers that lead them to betray him and sell him into slavery, but it is what is required to bring about their reconciliation. Right? So, but it required something from Joseph. In order for them to be reconciled again, it required forgiveness. Joseph has every right to take revenge. His brothers sold him. They didn't act like brothers, and he has every right. Later on in the story, his brothers are before him, and they have no idea that it's his bro- that's their brother. But he has all this power, second in command, and his brothers are going to go and ask Joseph for food, but they don't know it's his brother. And he's looking at them, and in that moment, he has every right to say to them, Ha! Guess what? It's me. I'm back. You tried to take me down, but you couldn't get me. Here I am, and guess what? You're going down. Get out of here. No food for you. In fact, I have the power to kill you. So maybe he does. Maybe he threatens them. But do you know what ends up happening? He forgives them. He, look, the pattern of the Bible is that betrayal will lead to reconciliation. I mean, in one sense, it's, you know, if you're going to be reconciled, it does require some betrayal first, but look what it is. It's a beautiful picture of God's relationship with us. It's the pattern of the way that God works. But do you understand this? That in order for reconciliation to happen, there must be forgiveness from the one who has done the wrong. They, the one who's been done wrong, too, must give forgiveness in order for reconciliation to happen. So, who do you need to forgive? Go ahead. Picture them in your mind because I know that there's somebody there. Your power and ability to forgive them hinges upon your ability to trust that God has orchestrated this whole thing. And what they meant for evil against you, God will use for good. Look for opportunities to show grace. When you become a Christian, you have so tasted the grace of God and you have this grace welling up in you, it almost becomes like you are eager to share that grace with others. So you're like, come on, bring it on. What you got? Sin against me? Fine. Here's some grace. I'm going to throw it and peg you right in the forehead with this grace. And the pattern of the Bible is this. The only way, because you got a broken heart from someone doing something wrong to you. And the only way to be healed of that broken heart is to forgive them. Otherwise, your heart remains broken. Because what's going to happen is, they've done wrong to you, you're going to seek to harm them. And you're going to hold out forgiveness from them, and you will not be at peace. And along with that, when you recall all the things done wrong to you, you can't forgive them, what you will begin to do is start justifying your wrongs towards them. And then you'll start get good, getting good at justifying doing wrong things to others because they've done wrong to you. And then you will begin to imagine things that people have done wrong to you that they actually haven't even done, and you will start doing wrong to them because you're so convinced that everybody's out to get you. 
and your soul will begin to be poisoned, your heart and your mind will be poisoned, and you will turn prideful, and sin will become all the more easier to you. And also, if you want friendships at all, you got to forgive, because people are going to sin against you. It's just the way that it is. So you better get good at it if you want to be a friend to people. And if you can't forgive others, it might mean that you don't actually understand that God has forgiven you. Because he who has been forgiven much is very quick to forgive others. Who do you need to forgive and who do you need to ask forgiveness of? All right, fifth pattern. Hatred leads to honor. So Joseph endures this hatred from his brothers. And in the end, there is this epic scene where his brothers are bowing to him. They don't even realize that it's him, and they're bowing to him. The hateful acts actually kickstart the process of Joseph's dreams and why they end up bowing to him. Now, has anybody ever hated you wrongfully? Maybe you didn't do wrong. Maybe you just did a little tiny thing, but then their hatred is coming down on you hard. Well, if, if that's true for you, which it probably is, welcome to the pattern of Christianity. Jesus was hated and done nothing wrong. But if that's true, someone hates you, you will be honored if you will just understand that God's will is at work. Perhaps this is a test. Is God's approval enough for you? Think about this. Is God's approval, approval of, of you by your faith in Christ, is it enough? The, the, I want you to know this about us. The only way that we rest and make God's approval for us enough is when we are hated by others at times. Because we long for that approval. And when it's taken away from us, we see how desperate for it we are, and we say, man, this is not the way to live. And then God comes along and he says, I approve of you no matter what, through your faith in Christ. There's nothing you can do or not do that's going to make me love you more or less, and that should be enough. And if God's approval of you isn't enough, even so that if somebody hates you wrongfully and you're okay, if, if you aren't okay, here's what you got to realize. You have to realize that you need to reorient your entire life around understanding that the God who created you, he approves of you. And he loves you. He really does. No matter what you did, by your faith in Christ, his love is constant, never ending, always flowing right at you. And when you believe that's true, his love is enough so that when someone does hate you, you just kind of shrug your shoulders at it. I mean, you don't want them to hate you, but like, it's not killing you. Now, some of you are approval junkies like me, and here's what will happen to you. There will come times when you need to speak up about something, but you won't be brave about it because you're so worried about what other people think of you. In fact, what you're going to find is that you begin to not obey God, but disobey him because you are lusting after the approval of others. And so what ends up happening is you begin to obey a mere human being so that you feel good about yourself, so that they'll approve of you. All the while, you are disobeying God because they mean more to you than God does. And it just might be 
that like Joseph, those who are hating you now will actually honor you in the future if you will stay true to God's will for your life. But either way, God will certainly honor your obedience. All right, and the last thing, last point, last point. The next, next thing we see is that the kernel of what produced hatred is jealousy. Jealousy creates this opportunity to love, but let me tell you about jealousy. It is deadly for your soul, and you are jealous. Jealousy is what started all of this. I mean, Joseph's brothers were completely jealous of him, and look at this. His father loved him the most, loved Joseph the most. This is is sinful on on his father's part, But he's totally cool with it. He's prancing around, showing off his robe that his father gave him, reminding all of his brothers that his father loves him best. But what they're really jealous about, actually, is God's will for his life. All right, want to see if you're a jealous person? Go on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and look at the people's perfect little social media life. Just look, take it all in. And as you take it in, ask yourself, am I happy for this person? Or is there something in me that feels a little bit sad? Or am I looking for all the ways that I could kind of like find the parts about them that are wrong? If you do that, you're jealous. There you go. So many of friendships are lost because of jealousy, or they're on the rocks. And here's what it all comes down to, trusting in God's will. God's will for Joseph was that this would happen, but it would work out for the brothers good. But the brothers couldn't see that. They were so jealous of God's will for Joseph's life that they had to take him down. Now, there are people that you are jealous of this is just God's will for their life. Why are you so jealous about it? In fact, if you will just realize this, that what God is doing in their life could very well work out for your good. So celebrate what God's doing. Or who's jealous of you? Who are you jealous of? Who's jealous of you? And how should you respond if someone is jealous of you? Well, Joseph responds with love. And that's what we should do. Now, I've been holding out on you up until this point. And I've been making this story about something that you can learn from. Some wisdom that you can grasp. Something that will help you lead a better Christian life. And that's all in this story and it will do that very thing. But primarily, this story and these patterns are pointing to someone. Christ. The patterns of the story, these patterns are riddled throughout the Bible, and these patterns you will find in your life. And these patterns are meant to scream to you that there is someone who fulfills these patterns. There's someone who all these patterns are pointing to. Now, let me show you this. First, I got to tell you this because this is so cool. So Judah, it's his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. And I guess it's kind of nice because they don't kill him, but later on, In Deuteronomy 24-7, it says, whoever sells his brother into slavery, kill him. Take him down. Now, that's weird because 
something strange happens. At the end of Jacob's life, after everybody's happy and everything's good, at the end of Jacob's life, the father, he would know that Judah is the one who sold Joseph into slavery. He would know because it's the same thing like when you get old enough, you start telling your parents about all these things you did in high school and you're like, I can tell you this now. Well, that's probably what happened. But something strange happens because the same writer that wrote Genesis wrote the thing that said you deserve to be dead if you sell your brother into slavery. But the same writer, here's what happens. Look at, look at what, what happens. Jacob blesses Judah with kingship. Later, at the end of Genesis, jo- Judah gets a scepter, which means he's the king. Now, this is so strange. King among all of his brothers. Now, here's why this is strange. Joseph was the one who was the king. So what happened? Because Judah was supposed to die, but he doesn't. Instead, he becomes the king of all of his brothers. Why didn't he die? Why isn't he killed for this? Well, someone in his line would be killed, but he'd also be the king. Do you know who is in Judah's line? Jesus. The sin of Judah passed beyond him. And it rested right upon Jesus, though he knew no sin. And he would take the sins of Judah, but not only Judah, he would take the sins of the entire world. And ultimately fulfilling all of these patterns. Let me show you the patterns. Here they are. Six of them real quick. Okay, so stay with me. Trials lead to peace. Okay, so Jesus enters into the greatest trial of all. He comes into this world, though he knows no sin, he is tested over and over again, and ultimately the trial of the cross. And he suffers in pain, in torment, in tribulations on the cross. But he did that so we would get peace. All the suffering that is meant for us, he takes on the cross so that he could redeem us, bring us into a relationship with God, and so that we might have peace. That's the first one. Second one, slavery leads to deliverance. Jesus on the cross becomes a slave to sin and death so that we might be freed from sin and death. Third, Death leads to life. You know this. All of humanity, we're set up for an eternal death. Buried in the grave forever. And then Jesus comes on the scene who is eternal. And he dies. But then he rises again. Now look, listen to this. When he who is eternal dies, for us who are temporary, it makes us who are temporary now eternal. All right, betrayal leads to reconciliation. Do you know that Jesus, before he's betrayed, you know what he does? He's washing the feet of Judas. Not Judah, but Judas. And Jesus knows that Judas is about to betray him, but he washes his feet anyways. This ultimate act of humility. But yet, it is by the betrayal that it sets off a series of events that would lead to Jesus' death. Jesus wants to die. He wants to die for you. So he allows it all to happen. He allows the betrayal to happen so that he could reconcile you to his father. Fifth, hatred leads to honor. Jesus is hated upon the cross. In his hatred, in people's hatred of him, he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. No idea. And then we are told that because of this, Philippians 2, because he's obedient to the point of death, God actually exalts him. Hatred leads to honor, and then the last thing, last, 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 jealousy leads to love. 
The religious leaders of the day were so jealous of Jesus, all this attention he was getting, and so they killed him, and Jesus let it happen so that the greatest act of love, the greatest display of love and salvation would be seen and known for all so that you can now go to him and have all of these patterns in your life. All these patterns, all of the bad turns to good. What we meant for evil, he works out for good because he's a good God. A God worthy to be worshipped, a God worthy to bow to, and a God worthy for us to say, I am all yours. Take me. That's Christianity. Let me pray. God, we pray that when these things happen in our life, when we enter into trials, when there's a death, uh, when we feel depressed, when we feel betrayed, when we feel hated, when people are jealous of us, when we feel sold by those who are meant to... <laughs> that noise wasn't... Uh, I can't even think of something witty right now. Um, God, we pray that all the things that are happening to us, we pray that we would know that a reversal is happening. And that we would trust you, and that we would know that if we could just pull back the curtains, we would see you with a smile on your face, orchestrating this beautiful ending for us. So we want to trust you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.